0: Good morning, Bethel. This past week, um, I actually had planned on mentioning this last week, but there was a lot going on last week. So rather than just mentioning it quickly and not explaining it at all, I figured I'd explain it on the tail end. But this past week, Greg Lewis and I, and also um, Todd Metzger's dad, Will, that some of you may know, um, and Drew Harrison, who recently graduated from UD and is joining InterVarsity staff at uh, University of Delaware, we four, um, shared room and attended a conference this past week called Together for the Gospel in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I try to get to at least one of those a year. And so um, it's a conference mainly for pastors, missionaries, church leaders. Um, Anyway, we left on Tuesday, got back Friday, And from Tuesday afternoon through Thursday night, we heard nine plenary messages with everybody. Um, There were six panel discussions on different issues. Um, There was an elective seminar where they offered a bunch of different things, and you could pick one. Um, Several really powerful testimonies um, were shared of how people had come to Christ. And the theme of the conference was the underestimated gospel. And the point was, though a lot more than this was said, We underestimate the power of the gospel all the time. One of the speakers, uh, Thabiti Anyabwile, who's the pastor of First Baptist Church of Grand Cayman, um, suffering for Jesus there on that island, um, asked us, after he had been asked, he went to the Middle East to speak, I think, at a seminar. I think that's how it went. Um, And he was sitting there listening to someone else speak about some of the greatest challenges, hindrances to the gospel in the Muslim world. And so he's had some experience with this, and he was formulating his answers, and as in his words kind of sitting back almost um, smugly, thinking through how he would answer that. And the answer that the speaker gave caught him off guard and humbled him, and it really helped him. He said, you know, I think that the greatest hindrance to the gospel in the Muslim world is Christian's lack of confidence in the gospel. So then he asked us, is it obvious that you have a clear, unshakable confidence in the power of the gospel? Is it an evident mark in your life that you have this deep, unshakable confidence in the gospel of Jesus? Is it powerful enough to transform even the hardest cases? Or have you just given up on certain people? In fact, the testimonies, I think this was so helpful. The testimonies regularly kind of gave this refrain of, I wasn't interested and I pushed back on the person who was sharing with me. So how do you and I respond when you try to reach out to somebody and they push back? I think sometimes we, well, they're obviously not interested. Well, of course they're not interested. They're dead. In their trespasses and sins, they're slaves of sin. Only the gospel itself can actually bring that life, can create new taste buds where they would actually be hungry and interested. So we shouldn't be set back on our heels if people reject the gospel. Um, Think about the Apostle Paul. So a little later on, Kevin DeYoung, a pastor of University Reformed Church in Michigan, He said, Defeatist, I'm just giving you a few nuggets, and I'm going to put some links on the blog so that you can listen to some of these messages. Um, Really, really helpful stuff. Um, He said, Defeatist Christians, I can't change. I've failed so many times. You don't understand my circumstances. Defeatist Christians are not being humble. They're not believing the power of God in the gospel. De Young also quoted J.C. Ryle from his, his well-known book, Holiness. And he said, what are two marks of the child of God? His inner peace and his inner warfare. That might be worth pondering a little bit this afternoon. Sounds like a two-part sermon series to me. A um, little later on, I heard one of the best messages on missions that I've ever heard from David Platt. Definitely going to encourage you to listen to that one. Um, John Piper gave the last message on Thursday night, and he said, I love to ask this question of people. What makes you think you'll wake up a Christian tomorrow morning? Kind of a strange question. How would you answer that? Well, he answered that question personally and powerfully from Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling that text. Um, so I was challenged, convicted, uh, inspired, given lots of food for thought. Um, I, I think Greg was as well from our conversations. Um, really enjoyed the fellowship with Greg and with Will and Drew. And I was also able to connect with um, quite a few other pastors and friends um, that I know who are scattered all over the place. Um, so thank you. And again, I would encourage you to listen to a few messages. Um, you just find the links on On the blog, hopefully, Lord willing, tomorrow I'll put that up. Let's pray, and then we're going to look at Psalm 42. Oh God, your grace is enough. You are more than enough for all of us. For everything that we face in this life. Jesus said... Whoever comes to me will never, ever hunger. Whoever believes in me will never, ever thirst. You are enough. Your grace is sufficient. And yet we have to be honest, Lord. We are blinded to that reality. We are cold to that reality all the time. It's going to happen this week. It's going to happen. We're going to act more like orphans than adopted, loved children of the king of the universe. And so in those moments, we need to learn how to come back to reality, to come to our senses to realize again that your grace is enough to taste and drink in that grace so that our hunger is satisfied, our thirst is slaked in you so that we don't go after the wrong things and try to satisfy our thirst in the broken cisterns of the world. So Lord, would you please Equip us this morning and help us to grow in our ability to battle the lies that you're not enough. That you're not enough for this scenario. That you're not enough for for my struggles or my temptations or my problems. Lord, show that to be what it is. Show how great and glorious and worthy to be hoped in you are this morning. So that that lie will be dispelled from us. Send forth your light and your truth and dispel the darkness of doubt in you. Do it on the spot this morning and equip us to push back the darkness with the light of your truth this week. So Lord, feed us a fish this morning. We're hungry. And teach us to fish this morning so that we can feed ourselves this week. When we get hungry, we know where to go. So we ask for your help in the precious name of Jesus, who made it all possible for you to be ours so that we could say that your grace is enough. So it's in his name we pray. Amen okay so you 've all heard and maybe used that evangelical jargon phrase quiet time Have you had your quiet time you 're going to have your how 's your quiet times? How have your quiet times been recently um, and when we use that, we obviously don 't mean the time that a toddler spends on his bed in his room so that mommy can you know have a few minutes of peace and quiet and get a few things done. We mean as I said, our devotional time, Bible reading, prayer, maybe some journaling, maybe scripture memory. It's not a bad phrase. I'm not knocking it. Um, I'm not lobbying for its removal from our evangelical vocabulary. Um, I'm only lobbying for the addition of another phrase. Okay, so a little bit of backstory here. Um, Let's see, this would be like seven years ago. I was out in this area, not far away, in Gaithersburg, Maryland, um, and I was there to learn all that I could from Covenant Life Church's Pastors College. I was developing an internship program for Grace Church of DuPage, and I wanted to learn from a couple different churches that were doing internship slash um, training programs like the one I was developing. So the Sunday that I was there, Beth was there with me, there children's pastor, a guy named Chris Sillard, I think he's gone on to be a pastor of another church um, since then, but he was preaching on fighting unbelief. That was the title of the message. It was a great message. Um, But one of the things that stuck out to me was kind of an offhanded comment. It wasn't really, you know, one of the main points he was making. But he made reference, oh, I was having my quiet time. And then he stopped and he said, well, actually, it's more like a loud time. And then he went on. And that phrase stuck with me because what he meant was that his devotional time was oftentimes filled with preaching to himself. Okay, so the condition of his soul on many mornings was such that this kind of response was necessary to preach to his heart in light of the coldness, in light of the dryness that so often characterized his heart. And I'm sure you as well, like me, he would often feel the need to preach the truth of the Bible to himself. Now, where did he get that idea? Okay, is he like half a bubble off? Is he spent too much time alone in his study? And he's just, you know, one of those weird kind of absent-minded professor types who scurries across campus. Do you remember this person from place to place with, you know, armload of books and muttering to himself and about who knows what? And you're like, what is going on with that guy? No, he got it from the Bible. He got the idea from the Bible. We see it three times in the two chapters in Psalms that Greg read a few minutes ago. Did you hear the refrain? Three times. That's why those two Psalms hang together. Why are you cast down, O my soul? O my soul. Who's he talking to? Himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God. Who's he talking to? He's not telling God to hope in himself himself. He's talking to himself. He he's aware of his discouragement, his depression, his being cast down. And he's saying, "I know better than this. I know what God is like. I need to grab myself by the lapel here and preach to myself." Because this, the way that I'm feeling is just not in touch with reality of the God that I know and trust and love and His grace toward me. Okay? That's not the only place that this, I mean, just do a little search, oh, my soul. You know, BibleGateway.com or wherever you um, read. If you read online and looking for a concordance, you don't even have to buy one anymore. You can just use the online version, okay? Psalm 103 Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Psalm 62.5, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from Him. Or Psalm 116.7, return, O my soul, to your rest. Okay, so you know, Matthew 11.28, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And oftentimes we go somewhere else. We go to food for rest and comfort. And you can just grab yourself and say, come on, food is not my Savior. Jesus is my Savior. Return, O my soul, to your rest, your true rest. Okay? So have you ever had a loud time? Well, this morning I'm going to encourage you to start doing just that. And I'm not the only one who's going to encourage you. Martin Lloyd-Jones is going to encourage you. If you don't know who he is, I'll tell you in a minute. Um, The sons of Korah temple servants are going to encourage you to do so. The ones that wrote, whoever, which one of them wrote Psalm 42 and likely Psalm 43 as well. King David's going to encourage you to do so. But most importantly, don't miss the fact that because it's His inspired Word, God Himself is giving you a strategy this morning so that your hope would be In Him, especially when you don't feel like it. He's going to give you a weapon this morning to put in your arsenal to fight for your faith. Okay, so what is up with this talking to ourselves phenomenon? Have you ever thought about this? You ever talk to yourself? Come on, admit it. I mean, really. Like, why do I do this when I'm doing a project? Home improvement project. You know, why Why am I doing that? Why am I rehearsing this thing in my head? And I'm going to do this next. I'm mean, Who am I talking to? Why am I talking to myself? Um, maybe when you're driving alone. Maybe when you're trying to remember something. Or, you know, maybe after that date you were so excited about. Or that date that flopped. And you're rehearsing things. Or it went surprisingly well. And you I mean, you just... You've got you to talk to somebody. Well, at least you're there. Um, maybe after that business opportunity that you had to speak in front of these people, and it either went really well or it went really bad, and you get in the car, you're talking to yourself. You're working on a math problem. Tongue goes out. You start talking. On Friday, we had the Verizon guy because a neighbor had a tree fall and you know knocked the wire down, and this Verizon guy comes. And Beth was like, I don't know if this guy was... You know, schizophrenic, what? So I I was trying to get close enough to figure out if he was talking about what he was doing or if he's talking about something else because he was really doing this. Um, So we are, I think here's the thing, we are inescapably social creatures because we're made in the image of the triune God. In fact, have you ever noticed even the recluses or people that are mentally ill... They tend to talk to themselves. In fact, maybe I should say especially the recluses and the mentally disturbed talk to themselves because they have either rejected God's design for relationships and community, and yet they can't erase the fact that they are made in the image of a relational triune God. So they must commune with someone Or maybe they've so rejected relationships and are so suspicious of any and all others that the only person they're willing to talk to and trust is themselves. Okay? This is like imprinted on our souls. So for whatever reason, for talking to ourselves in relation to these issues, um, when it comes to Psalm 42, I would suggest that talking to ourselves, preaching to ourselves... In the realm of these spiritual issues, is an expression of theological wisdom, and it's actually a vitally important discipline. Okay, now <clears throat> we're going to dive into Psalm 42 in just a second, but I want to connect the dots with last week. Okay, if you missed that, you can listen online. But on Resurrection Sunday, we focused our attention on 1 Peter one three to five. And then some of the application was found in verse 13, right? So, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance. And so there's this living hope that is objective, it's outside of us, it's this amazing inheritance that is imperishable, unfading, undefiled, kept in heaven. It's wonderful. Subjective, but oftentimes we live like earthworms. We live like horses with blinders on and, and we need to be called regularly back to set our hope. Verse 13, fully on the grace to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus. Okay. And oftentimes our subjective internal hope locks on all kinds of fragile things that can be blown up or taken away from us so easily. So, the living hope is out there, solid, rock solid. Our subjective hope needs to lock on the living hope. Understand? But, if you think about it, that verse, Therefore, prepare your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, that can seem kind of vague. What does that look like? How do you do that? Set my hope fully on the grace to be brought to me. How do you do that? How do you fix your hope on the living hope? How do you fix your hope on grace that is promised to come in the future? Well, that's, in a sense, what we're going to try to answer from Psalm 42 this morning. How? It's not intended to be an exhaustive answer. I hope it's not an exhausting answer. Okay? But there are other ways to answer the how. In fact, you can find some of those how answers in the book of 1 Peter. But this is certainly a very helpful answer to begin to lay hold of if you're not already doing it. So, Psalm 42, we're not going to turn over every rock. We're going to really focus, in a sense, on verses 5 and 11. That refrain that's also picked up in 43.5. Um, But first, we're going to just do a little bit of context, okay? So if you're not there, please turn back to Psalm 42. And I just want to kind of read through it quickly, touch on a few things as far as what's going on in this passage, and then we'll focus back in on the preaching to ourselves issue. So we need to set our hope on the living hope. Psalm 42 is going to give us a clear answer, a helpful answer as to how to do that. Let's look at the context, and we will find that these sons of Korah were in despair. They were downcast, and they were in exile. Okay? So, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? I used to do that regularly when I had the freedom to do that in the temple. But now that I'm in exile taken away from that place. I wish I could get out of exile and back home in the presence of God. So, rather than the living water, it seems, being my diet, flooding my soul, my tears have been my food day and night. While they... These pagans that I'm around in exile say to me all day long, where's your God? Doesn't look like he's very powerful. If you're under our thumb here in our kingdom, our land. These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me for I used to go along with the throng so sweet to worship God together with his people in freedom leading them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. And then he says it. Why are you in despair, O my soul, or downcast? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. O my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. That's probably a, a negative imagery. It's actually used with of Jonah. Um, so this is I, I'm just feeling like I'm getting drowned. Waters of judgment. Here, my soul thirsts for God, and I'm not being flooded with. Mercy, my tears are rolling out. So just there's interesting plays on the issue of water in this psalm. But then there's hope again. The Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime. And His song will be with me in the night, even in exile. He can can send forth His exile. He's not limited to Israel. He can send forth His loving kindness to me. He can command it and say, Go over and encourage and lift up my child over there in exile. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to my, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Again, in despair, in exile. As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me while they say to me all day long, where's your God? Look how powerful our God is. Yours is weak. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me, hoping God? For I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Okay? Now, you and I have never been in exile like that. We've never been dragged out of our homeland and taken to a foreign homeland and been under the thumb of some occupying power, but whether you know it or not, you are in, you are in exile right now. So we're doing this little connection between First Peter and Psalm forty-two. So let's do that again. Okay, flip back to First Peter one. 1 Peter 1 starts like this. I'm actually going to read um, ESV. The, the um, NAS says aliens here, but um, NIV and ESV say exiles, and I think it's probably a better word. Um, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Okay? Life in exile is tough. It's lived between the reception of the promises and the reception of the promises. So you've received the promises, but you haven't really received the promises. That's why we wait in hope, that's why we live by faith. And you know what? It's tough in exile, sometimes it's like a wilderness. Sometimes the hardship in the wilderness makes you lose sight of or doubt the reality of the promises that are yours, but not yet yours. They're yours because God's made those promises, but you haven't experienced the fullness of those promises yet. And sometimes it's easy to doubt them in the midst of trial, in the midst of suffering. So... The sons of Korah were doing that. Why are you downcast? It's these enemies. It's being an exile here. And I'm downcast. But I don't have to be. And he starts preaching to himself. And here in 1 Peter, what's going on with them? They're suffering. And they're about to suffer more. So Peter's writing to those chosen exiles. And he's saying, I know it's tough in between the reception of the promises. You've got this living hope and the actual realization of that hope. You're going to suffer. So you're going to need some grace to be able to endure that suffering in between. So we live in the already, but not yet. We've been freed from sin and yet we haven't been completely freed from sin. We have a new heart, but it's still easy for our hearts to get hardened and calloused by the deceitfulness of sin. We have a new spirit. And The Spirit of God dwells within us, but it's easy to grieve the Spirit of God and follow after the Spirit of the age, right? We have a new master, a new Lord, but it's easy to submit to our old master and be ruled by sin and Satan and the world. So what do we do? Are we going to, and this is the the one weapon, the one tool for the tool belt that you get from Psalm 42 that is immensely helpful The question is, are we going to preach to ourselves or are we going to listen to ourselves? This is we need this to be really practical. okay? I just want this to be really practical this morning. How do you feel most mornings when you wake up? You know, maybe by the time you get in the shower, your mind starts running maybe immediately when you wake up. How do you feel in the morning? I don't know about you, but sometimes scattered Sometimes I wake up with some stupid children's song in my head um, or, or some like Rebel Without a Clue song from my high school days. Like, where did that come from? And I can't get it out of my head. Well, listen to Dr. Martin Lowe Jones. He was a pastor. He was a medical doctor and then became a pastor in London. Um, died in 1980s. Um, powerful preacher. He said this in a book called Spiritual Depression. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You've not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment, and he's speaking of Psalm 42 or 43, This man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you cast down O my soul, he asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is and what God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note. I love this. Defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, I shall Yet praise him for the help of his countenance, who is also the health of my countenance and my God. Do not listen to him. Turn on him. Speak to him. Condemn him. Exhort him. Encourage him. Remind him of what you know. Instead of listening placidly to him and allowing him to drag you down and depress you, for that is what he will always do if you allow him to be in control. So what are you doing? What do you need to do in the shower? You need to pull yourself into a counseling session with yourself in the morning. John Piper made this helpful comment, commenting on Psalm 43. Even the mature believer in Psalm 43, who has known experientially the grace and presence of the Lord and knows objectively the truth about his character is feeling subjectively like God has abandoned him. He knows better, but he doesn't feel better. Are you just helpless at that point? We often operate as if we are. We're not. So he begins a little dialogue with his soul. Oh God, he prays, send me light. And I think he adds truth because this is what you see when light comes. Truth is what's real, what's substantial. Send light to my soul. Let me see the true substance and reality of things. Oh God, banish illusions from my heart, not just intellectual illusions from my head, but emotional illusions from my heart, end quote. That's helpful. It shouldn't surprise us. Again, we live between the already and the not yet. So in Romans, in chapter 6, Paul says, our old self was crucified with Jesus in order that the body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves of sin. And we can get this false expectation that like, if we were really spiritual, we would just kind of, never struggle and we walk like 6 inches off the ground no a few verses later in 611 he says so you also must reckon yourselves or consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to god in christ jesus let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions of course your flesh is going to rise up and want to rule you have to put it to death Paul says, I beat my body and make it my slave. No, body, you're not going to rule me. I'm going to rule you. Jesus is going to rule me. So, battle begins the day we're converted. The battle's going to rage until the day we die. We shouldn't expect anything else. But sometimes we get we have this tendency that we get really frustrated and and we see how much we struggle with sin and we're reminded how often we fail and Satan loves to wag his finger of accusation. We consider how slow our growth is. We've done this thing again and again. seems like it's one step forward, two or three back. We get this defeatist attitude and we just, well, I, I can't change me, which is True. But be careful that that doesn't slide into this defeatist mentality that denies this wonderful grace that God has given us of preaching truth to our souls. so we need to battle and preach to ourselves as a matter of theological wisdom it 's the nature of the old man in conflict with the new man the the flesh in conflict with the spirit. Okay, we need to preach down, put down, deny the old nature. And we need to vivify, feed, give life to our new nature. Now, I think maybe one thing that might be worth saying is that might seem fake to some of you, to some people. Uh, maybe this would be more likely to be true of people in the younger generation, younger generations, who feel like, well, I've got to be honest with myself. I've got to be real. And I don't feel this way, so therefore. But, but there's so much to learn here from the psalmist where he, it, this is so interesting. His, his hope is weak. His faith is, is kind of, it's like a dying ember. But isn't it interesting how his weak faith can actually rise up and preach to his unbelief? The very reason he's downcast is because he's not hoping in God. But that doesn't mean we have to just throw up our hands and be fatalistic. This, this is so helpful. His, his weak, weak faith, downcast faith, is able to address his unbelief. is able to address his downcast soul. So this is, again, it's theological wisdom. It's the logic of Philippians 2. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling because God's at work. He's at work so you can work out. The reason you can preach this Truth to your soul, even though you don't feel like, even though you're not believing it right now, is because it's God's truth. And God's truth is powerful. And God's promises can actually awaken the very thing that you need. Faith comes from hearing, right? So, this is, I think, one of the ways that we can unpack and, and talk about the how of that First Peter one thirteen, girding up the loins of our mind, preparing yourselves um, for battle here. So, I would encourage you, <laughs> it's very simple, straightforward application. Sometimes maybe we get too many points. Maybe it's good to just have one point. Can I just encourage you to turn up the volume in your quiet times, in your devotional times, and frankly, a lot of other times as well. Okay, so that's the point. But again, I want to make sure that this is practical, not pie in the sky. How? How do you do that? Let's say it's anxiety. That's a typical thing that is talking to you on any given morning, right? Okay, so maybe it's something that happened the day before. Maybe it's something that could happen today. You wake up in the morning and anxious thoughts start running. You get on the hamster wheel. You know? And you're just teasing out all these possible things. Well, oh man, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And all of a sudden you're, you're thinking foreclosure. You know? Come on. You've never done that? Like all the way to... Okay. Um, you've lost your job before you get out of the shower. Okay? Who knows what else you've lost? What's, what's going on there? When anxiety is talking and you're listening, anxiety is wanting to rule you and you're listening, what happens? Your hopes are threatened. And when hopes are threatened, you start to despair. Whenever you don't have hope, you despair. You get downcast. So your anxieties are stealing your hope away from where it should be, and you get downcast. So what are you going to do? Oh, I really shouldn't think this way, and you just shovel down some cereal and go out the door, turn on the radio. No. What do you do? Preach yourself. Don't listen to yourself. Turn up the volume. Okay? You can do this. You can do this in the quietness of your house and not be too embarrassed. You can do this in your car, even though sometimes for some reason, even people, we have no idea who they are and we'll never see them again. If they see us singing in the car, talking to ourselves in the car, we get embarrassed and we stop. Um, Okay. What are you going to do? Well, I think we can preach, we can stop and ponder and think, okay, what is my hope in right now? And if it's not in the living hope, if it's not in God, then it's basically on sand. And so you can actually start to preach to yourself about the unsuitableness of the false hope that you are banking on. So what you're doing is you're giving yourself a little shot of Ecclesiastes. Okay, that's really helpful to have the false hopes get blown up before they're blown up. Blow them up before the carpet really gets pulled because you were actually trusting, hoping in those things and some circumstantial loss or circumstance, you know, basically blows them up and you are just crushed. Blow them up. And then in their place, preach the solid, the solidness, the weightiness, the reality of the true hopes. Okay, so let's take impatience. Let's say you're really tempted to take matters into your own hands in a sinful way because you really want to make this happen because you're afraid if if this doesn't happen, then what? False hopes. You're playing things out. Trust in Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Let's say you're getting impatient and you're wanting to lean on your own understanding to accomplish your end that you want rather than submitting to the will of God and trusting Him with His timing. Psalm 62, 5 says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from Him. Remind yourself that your hope is from Him alone. Don't run to other so called gods. Don't give in. Keep trusting. Keep waiting. Don't take matters into your own hands. Preach. Don't listen. Your flesh is going to step up to the pulpit every morning and start preaching. And if you don't defend yourself from that onslaught, you're going to start listening and you're going to be controlled by it. What's the flesh going to say? If you don't defend yourself, if you don't take revenge, If you don't cheat here, if you don't lie there, if you don't exaggerate here, if you don't downplay this, all these subtle compromises, what if those worries are going to bombard your soul? Okay, let's take another one. Let's say your heart is cold. This happens to me all the time. It drives me nuts how I can be cold hearing gospel truth in a song coming to the table or maybe you coming to listen to a message. You come in here and you're just like, I would so much rather be at Olive Garden right now Okay, because, okay, so your taste buds are out of whack. That's not to say I always, you know, lay out a feast perfectly, but God's word is, we don't live by bread alone, but in every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So whether it's on a given morning or whether it's a Sunday morning, what do you do when your heart's cold? Well, I can't do anything about it. You know, of course God's got to give those taste buds. Of course he's got to do that. But what about... Psalm 103. I'm actually memorizing it right now with this little fighter verse program. Or keeping it memorized, hopefully. Um, So helpful. This psalm is so helpful. I find myself going back to it over and over again. Okay. Not just don't be downcast, soul, but also bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oftentimes we are so ungrateful. We're complaining. We're irritable, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What if you just... Grab yourself by the lapel and say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And don't forget all of his benefits. And then what do you do from there? Rehearse them, which is exactly what he does. Who forgives all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. How about that for rehearsal? To awaken your heart to not be blessing and praising a bunch of earthly things, but actually to have your heart tuned, to sing His praise when you wake up in the morning. That can happen. Is your heart ever cold? Anybody? Anybody? I mean, come on. Let's say you're at the fork in the road. This can happen in a moment. You're going to cheat on your taxes. Okay. April 17th, right? Are you going to cut corners at work for a better bottom line? That's a fork in the road. That, that happens at a moment. At some point, you come to that fork. So what are you going to do? Are you going to hope in God or are you going to hope In money, you need to grab yourself by the lapel at that moment because you're tempted and say, It would be better to have less and a clean conscience and glorify God, even if nobody sees it, even if I lose this business. I can trust God that if I trust Him, I can trust Him. I'm not an orphan, I'm the son or daughter of the father, the father. So that anxiety in Matthew six, you know, with what you're going to eat or drink. Oh, ye of little faith. He knows seek first his kingdom at the fork. Preach to yourself. Don't listen to the lies. Oh, if you don't do this, everybody does this. If you don't do this, you're not going to be able to keep up. You're going to lose the business. Then what's happening? Foreclosure. Da, 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 da. Foreclosure. What about if you've made the mistake and you've gone down that wrong fork in the road? How do you make the hard decision to turn around and come back? To confess, to be honest, to be open. There's so much grace that you can preach to yourself there. God will walk that path with you and he will receive you. Like, how did he receive the younger son, the younger brother? preach to yourself. Don't listen to yourself. And this ought to be the default position. We should always be seeking to strengthen our hope in a positive, preventative way. So we're done. I hope that's practical. I just wonder if if you're going to do it. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. Oh yeah. Loud time. Yeah. Loud time. And then you're going to get depressed. And you're going to get downcast tomorrow. And you're going to wallow. And you're going to blame shift. And you're going to whine. And you're going to point the finger. And you're going to wish. Jealousy, envy. You're going to beat yourself up maybe. Maybe you're just going to get upset with yourself for being so bummed out, or you'll say stupid, unhelpful things like, "I got to snap out of this." <laughs> okay, yeah, you need to snap out of it, but there's no power in that. Or, "I hate it when this happens. I got to get this off my mind." Okay, none of those things are necessarily bad, but any person, you don't have to be a Christian, can and will do those things. Is there any advantage in being a Christian tomorrow morning? When you wake up, is there any grace available to you to preach to yourself, to address your soul with, to see God lift you out of the pit, get you off of the hamster wheel and put you on the solid rock of his grace? Is that available? Absolutely. So don't listen to yourself tomorrow morning. Preach to yourself. There is so much hope. There's a living hope available to you. It is so sure it's as alive as Jesus is alive. It's ours through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So I hope that you're actually encouraged that you can reason with yourself when you're in the dumps. Because I think we oftentimes just throw up our hands. So please, do not dismiss this as silly. Oh yeah, yeah, just preaching to yourself okay no this is inspired psalm 42 stuff okay this isn't my cute little title this is psalm 42 this is psalm 103 this is psalm 62 okay so don't dismiss it as silly don't think it doesn't work have you tried it this is a divinely inspired means of grace Sometimes we think we're such slaves to ungodly emotions. We don't have to be. We don't have to be passive. We don't have to listen to ourselves and be a slave to our our own emotional roller coaster rides. The Psalms open the door, give us this clear path to follow. And let me just say it explicitly because Psalm 42 is prior to the mystery being revealed. If you want to preach something to your soul, make sure you are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to your soul every day. We need to hear it and believe it every day. There is an accuser of the brethren. He loves to point out your sin and failures and accuse you so that you just end up getting paralyzed by guilt and condemnation. There's a word for that. Steady yourself, soul. This is what is true. I have an advocate Okay, if you start acting like an orphan, oh no, I'm adopted. See how great the love of the Father that we should be called children of God. And so we are. It's turning up the volume. Okay, I'm doing, right now, I'm doing the ABCs of my prayer walks. And so often, you know what? It doesn't always work. I'm not always, you know, running the last half mile of my prayer walk. But I thought, okay, how can I focus my thoughts as I'm praying? Because oftentimes I need this on the front end. I need to like kindling for my soul. Okay, ABCs. A. Adoption. Grab a text, Romans 8. I can even pull it up on my phone. Okay, I'm just gonna read that and remind myself of that and preach that to myself. B. Beloved. C. Chosen. D. Okay? All the way down. You can try that. So In light of the grace of God, in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in light of the living hope that is yours if you are in Christ through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, in light of the new master who rules you, in light of the spirit of God who dwells within you, in light of the old nature that is competing for allegiance and needs to be talked down, preached down, put down, put to death every day, Plan on turning up the volume of your devotional times to the glory of God. Let's pray. May you, O oh God, the God of hope, fill us with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we may abound in hope through Jesus Christ, our living Savior, who purchased for us a living hope that cannot be killed. Amen. Dismissed.